What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Helbeck, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. Okay, welcome back to another episode, NYREI podcast, Greg Helbeck, Michael Pinter. We're going to bring a great episode today because we're going to talk really about a New York specific topic that is not talked about anywhere except for this show and maybe Michael's YouTube videos. And it's going to be all about closing costs in New York and what to know about them, what the difference is when you're closing on a property in New York versus other areas of the country, and also really how to how to understand if a deal's working worth taking down with all the closing costs we're going to talk about. And also if you're going to be borrowing money, whether that's hard money or private money, how to incorporate some extra fees into your closing costs. And the reason we're talking about this is because you want to make sure you're going into these properties with your eyes open, especially down where we live. It's very expensive to take to get involved. When I say get involved, I mean take a deal down. So the more you know, the more you can anticipate and uh, you'll be able to make better business decisions. So, Michael, how are you doing this afternoon, my friend? Great. First of all, I just want to clarify because some people don't know. When you say take a deal down, it means we actually close on the prop yes. on the purchase, right? Yes. Some people, um, right, as opposed to just assigning the contract or double closing where we never actually take possession. So that's where you that's where the closing costs really come into play. Yeah, big time here. So, I mean, you're especially down, I mean, you're about two hours, about an hour and a half south of me. So it's even more expensive down in Nassau County and Suffolk County. So let's just get right into it, Michael. So what makes New York different when it comes to closing costs? Because we have friends in the, in the middle of the country, and I, I've actually taken deals down in, in the Midwest and out in the West Coast. And uh, it's embarrassing, these closing costs. I mean, I closed on some California property and it was like nothing. And then in Texas, it's like nothing. And Oklahoma, nothing. So never see, yes, <laughs> it's crazy. How do these title companies make money? But anyway, what's different about New York and why are the closing costs so freaking expensive? So as to why, I mean, there's a few factors as to why. The, the, the main factor is a, you, you're, the, legal, the legal fee, when, as, as we discussed before, when attorneys run the closing is already a few thousand dollars. Right. There are other states, ironically, that are considered attorney states, like North Carolina, I think, is an attorney state. But all that means is like the attorney will charge 200 bucks and he's usually affiliated with a title company. Here, it's reasonable to pay, you know, somewhere between two and three thousand dollars for your legal fees. So that's already more than the closing costs in other states. Yeah. But the title charges are also really expensive. So not just the title insurance, which is expensive and can be a few thousand dollars. But all the departmental searches that they do, they charge you a service fee for them. So you're going to run an HMB, a housing and building search. You're going to run a Patriot search to see if the guy's a terrorist. Housing and building search to see if there's any violations or open permits. You're going to run a, a, a street search to see if the street is municipal. A sewer search to see if it's municipal uh, water and, and sewer or if, it's a, or if it's a septic system. And all these things they charge, and these add up to hundreds of dollars. One of the biggest things, certainly in my county, in Nassau County, is the recording fees. So oh. to just record a, a deed is 800 bucks. 
if you're going to take a mortgage and we're going to get into costs involved in taking a mortgage, they, they got to record a mortgage and they charge, and they might charge you for every page of that mortgage. That could be 30 pages in that mortgage. So um, those are some of the crazy, crazy costs. Oh, and also you have transfer tax in New York, which is $4 per thousand. And, and it's usually paid for by the seller. But sometimes if you're buying a property, we promise that we'll cover all the closing costs and then we have to pay the seller's transfer tax. So that's $4 per thousand. So on a $300,000 deal, it's another uh, $1,200. So all these things add up. I usually figure when I buy something, it's going to cost me around $10,000. Just to take a deal down. Just to take a deal down. Now, some of that can be taxes that are due soon or taxes that get adjusted. So the day you close on something, if there, so, so taxes in, in my area are taken uh, at least four times a year, sometimes more. There's school taxes, there's uh, town taxes, Sometimes there are village taxes. There's all kinds of taxes and they're all taken at different times. So it's, it's, it's impossible for you to close on a day where the taxes are, where there isn't some kind of adjustment of taxes. So if taxes are due shortly, title company may make you pay them when you buy the property. And if taxes were paid earlier, you have to reimburse the seller for what he paid. Um, so there's always tax adjustments and $10,000 is pretty much on average what it costs me to, to pay in closing costs when I buy a house. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. And now, you know, we're talking generally Southern New York state, you know, this is applicable also in upstate New York. So if you're in Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, this is still going to go down. It's just might not be as expensive because the purchase price is going to be lower, but the biggest the thing, tax, and the taxes are probably lower. The taxes, the property taxes are much lower. That's a, that's actually something that I realized I have family up in the Rochester area and I was looking at real estate up there and I'm like, man, you could buy a big freaking house for like 300 grand and your property taxes are like three grand a year. And I'm like, dude, that would get me a dog house where I live. And that would get like a, that would be like a, that would get you like a, a washing machine in long Island. You know, I mean, porta potty. Yeah. Porta potty. Yeah, exactly. Forget about it. So, you know, no matter where you are in New York, obviously the more expensive the buy price and the more densely populated the area, obviously you're going to just be paying more for that location. So Michael, what, when you're going to take a property down, because you're doing business in Nassau and Suffolk and a little bit of Queens and Brooklyn, when you're deciding to take a property down, like what do you look for to make sure that it's worth your time because of all the closing costs? Obviously, it's got to make financial sense, but how do you analyze that? Maybe we could walk somebody through an example of a Long Island property. So like you can share what the buy price would be in theory. And then all those costs and what it's going to look like to carry that property as well. Because a lot of people, they like, oh, I got a deal. Zillow says it's worth 300. I can get it for 250. We're going to make 50 grand. And it's like, dude, <laughs> like, no. In Westchester <laughs> County? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So, um, on, so I do a lot of wholetailing, right? Where I'll buy a property that's in decent shape, pretty good shape, or maybe needs a drop of work. I'll close on it and then I'll sell it. I usually look for around a hundred thousand dollars spread because I figure it's going to cost me $50,000 to buy it, hold it while the work is being done or while finding a buyer and then sell it. So the closing costs on the sale, I'm usually gonna to have to pay 2% to a buyer's agent. So if I'm, so, so I'll give you an example. I just, I just went to contract on something in Hempstead. I'm paying three fifty for it. And I think it's a four fifty house as is without me doing anything to it. Um, I'm trying to finagle something going on, but assuming I need to close on it and I need to sell it, I'm probably only going to make 50 grand on it. So I'll probably be out 50. Because understand when I sell it, 
I'm going to have to pay 2% to our buyer's agent. I sell it for four fifty. dollars That's already $9,000. I'm going to have to pay taxes the whole time I hold it, which are $1,000 a month. I'm going to have to pay interest if I borrow money, which could be a few thousand dollars. A couple thousand dollars a month, yeah. The lender I use the most has a, gives me a three or four month minimum, which I, I probably won't sell it in less than that time anyway, because, because it takes that long for a buyer to get, get a mortgage. So yes. even, if I, even if I close today and I find a buyer tomorrow, it's probably going to take them two to three months to get a mortgage anyway. So I'm going to have three, four months of holding costs. So taxes are going to be three to $4,000. Interest is going to be twelve to $15,000. My closing costs on the sale are going to be another $15,000. I mean, I'm, I'm out 50 grand any way you slice it. And a lot of people don't realize that. And we get calls all the time, you and I, tell, people telling us that I, I have this amazing deal. It's worth it's worth 450 and I can get it for 430. And like the people don't understand, even if I wasn't borrowing money, that's not a good deal because of the no. closing costs on the buy and the closing costs on the sale. 100%. And that's, so that was a good rule of thumb you used there. So you're looking for like, if the property as is, is 450 and you're getting it at 350. Now your real net net is about $50,000 when you factor in the costs and everything like that. It could be a little when, more, it could be a little more or a little less. So if it's yeah. a higher price, if I'm buying it for like, if those, if that was skewed, so let's say I was buying, buying it for, I remember I bought some house for 500 that I was sure I can sell for 600. I sold it for not 600, sold it for like, I forgot what it was, 580 or something. Yeah. Um, so because it was more of a, because it was a bigger property and because I had all these problems from the town of Smithtown, um, I only made like 15, 20 grand, even though I sold it for $80,000 more than I bought. Yeah. Because your basis. Issues, issues show up and because my interest costs were higher and my taxes were higher and all of the costs, my 2% to the, to the buyer's agent at the end was $12,000 instead of being yeah. When you go with bigger numbers, it could be more. I bought something in uh, West Hempstead that I paid, uh, what the hell did I pay? I paid 450 for it and I sold it for 575. I found the buyer literally two days after I closed on it, but it, it cost me about 60 grand. So I didn't make 125,000 on it. I made like 60 grand on it. That's a great deal. I'm thrilled. It was awesome. It was great that I found the buyer so fast, but as the numbers get bigger, all those that that hundred thousand dollars looks small, looks uh, worse and worse as as you as as the price you pay for the property and the price you sell it for go up. Oh, 100%. And that's why all these gurus are like, oh, I bought the house for 300 and sold it for 450, made 150 G's. It's like, yeah, dude, you also smoked some weed and got on this podcast, you know. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, you didn't, but I'm just saying about the guru. <laughs> anyway, that's only legal in California, by the way. But anyway, so yeah, that's the thing. It's legal in New York now. I can't you not buy it though at the store? They haven't given out the licenses for the stores yet, but but it's they're not gonna they're not they're not gonna be arresting anybody for it. You want to hear a crazy story real quick on a side note? The listeners will appreciate this. So I got a very rich real estate friend. He's been on my podcast. You guys would get along actually. He's he's funny as hell, and uh, he has a junk removal business too that he does. He owns a bunch of free and clear rentals. The dude's just loaded, and he's at a junk job and he's cleaning out this um this dumpster, and he he's cleaning out sorry he's cleaning out the house. He goes to the dump to dump the crap out. And he finds literally 150 pounds of weed, <laughs> literally 150 pounds of weed. So he's like, oh my gosh. Somebody was hiding it in a dumpster? Apparently, yeah. So he takes all the weed back and we're like, dude, what the hell are you doing? He sends me a video. I thought it was like horse manure. Right, and I'm like, yeah. I go, dude, is that the devil's lettuce? He goes, yeah. So I go over to his house and I'm like, there's no way this is a scam. And it was actually, it's not real weed. It's like they basically squeezed all the THC out of it to like make vapor and then they sanitized it with like like rubbing alcohol so if you smoked it you'd probably like die but 
anyway. But it was interesting. That, it was interesting. Yeah. A little bit. I'm like, you should sell that to Hollywood, you know, Although as I, I like a prop. I don't know yeah. how I feel about that because at some point it's already like a federal crime that you can go to prison for. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I'd be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So I think we're throwing in a bonfire this weekend, but anyway, I digress. So back to what we were saying, when you're closing on properties, like what I always look for is like, I'll give you actually a good example. You had that property in Long Island. I have a property right now. The guy's apparently signing the contract today. I, the guy was, um, he got a mailer for me. He, he was like, all right, I want to sell at a discount. And like, I've always said like, you, you, you can't kill a motivated seller. Like if the seller is motivated, like you, you got to, you can't really screw the deal up unless you're a complete goober. And he ended up taking a low offer. We go into contract. I bought it for 140. And I said, instead of rehabbing this thing, I'm going to just stick it right back on the market for 199. So in quote unquote theory, I would make $60,000. But at the end of the day, I'm going to probably net like 30,000 bucks on that because after I borrowed money, just the closing costs, this is, I think, where we can pivot over to the mortgage topic. Just to close, like I use lending home on this loan, just to close on that damn deal, I had to bring, I believe I had a big deposit down and I still had to bring like, like 10 G's to the table or just after my big deposit to cover the gap and all the fees. So when someone's going to take a deal down, they don't have their own funds. They're going to borrow hard money. First of all, let's talk about what hard money is. And then we'll wrap that around what to expect in New York when you're going to be taking a deal down with hard money. Cause that's probably more realistic for a new investor versus raising money from their uncle. Cause it's just a little, sure. a little scarier, you know? So let's talk about what a hard, what money is hard is. money. Yeah. What is a hard money loan? Hard money lender is a lender that's going to lend a fix and flipper money to buy a property and very often to fix the property. Yes. They're going to lend a percentage of the purchase price. So I would say for experienced people, it's back to 90% where you have to put 10% down. If you're new, you probably have to put more like 20% down. Or maybe yeah, minimum. Sometimes 30. Maybe, maybe 25 or 30% down. Yeah. They're going to lend you the money. They're going to get an increased rate of return over what a regular mortgage would be. Um, yes. it's, it's almost always going to be an interest only loan. So you're going to have to pay them back the principal when you sell the property or refinance it. And you're going to almost certainly have to make monthly payments every single month for that, for that interest. Typical rates today are, I would say if you're an experienced investor, maybe you can get eight or 9% for new people. You're talking about like 10 to 12%, I think is pretty common. With some percentage points at the closing. Right. And you're usually going to have to pay at least two points. A point is 1% yeah. of the loan. So if you're borrowing $200,000, each point is $2,000. So you're going to, if it's a two points, you're going to have to pay $4,000. Right? You don't have to technically bring that money, but what they'll, they'll net fund it out of the loan. So just, and I, I, I've been, I was in the mortgage business a long time. So I'll talk about what net funding is. And, and this also pertains to your closing costs. Like people think they're going to have to like bring cash in their pocket for closing costs. They're just going to give you less money. So let's say you borrow $200,000 and there's two points. So that's already $4,000. And let's say there's another $6,000 in closing costs. All they're going to do really is just give you at the closing instead of 200, they're going to give you 190. So technically it's going to affect what you bring to the closing. Yeah. Um, but it's, you don't have to pay anybody these closing costs. It's just net funded out. And then right before the closing, usually way too late, they're going to say, Hey, by the way, you need to bring this amount to the closing. So be prepared. If you're borrowing hard money, you still need to put, they want to see skin in the game and they want to see you put up a, a decent amount at, at the very, I haven't seen much better than uh, asking people to put uh, 10%. 10% down. Yeah. If you're very, like, we have some friends who get a hundred percent funding, but they're doing, you know, probably 50 plus loans a year. That's rare. Um, the biggest uh, thing with hard money, go ahead. 
I, I know people who do that, but they usually ask yeah. them to pledge some kind of yeah. Clean, they they're just clean, clear asset. I, yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to work that with like my private lender, and I'm hoping it happens. But um, most of these places like a lending home that yeah. the, the large lenders don't, they want to see you put money in every deal. Because that's the thing with hard money lenders, and I I used to think like because I actually have considered lending like some of my own money as hard money, which I'm still considering doing. But the biggest thing you want to see if you're a hard money lender is you want skin in the game because. A lot of people are like, well, Greg, why do I have to put money in the game when I'm buying the house at a discount to begin with? And the last thing a lender wants to do, or at least a good lender, they do not want to foreclose. That's the last thing a lender, because that is a pain in the ass. It's time consuming. It's expensive. If they're borrowing money to lend, they have to pay their investors a certain premium or a certain return. So so two, point, two points you just made that I want to talk yeah. about. Now, I was in the mortgage business during the 2007, 2008, 2009 yeah. debacle. So the main reason really, people don't really understand this, but I can tell you without a doubt, the main reason for the crash is that uh, Wall Street was uh, allowing people to borrow with 100%. No one had to put money down. So you could buy a property. You didn't need to have to show income, assets. I didn't have de decent credit, 100%. And that was the biggest problem that happened and caused the crash. If they had just required 10 or 15% down, People would have not. People would have just not bought a lot of the properties that they bought, hoping yep. that the thing would go up. That's number one. Number two, um, and now I forgot number two. Uh, what was the last thing you said? <laughs> just remind me. Skin in the game. They don't want to foreclose. They do not right. want to foreclose. A lot, a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that that hard money lenders are looking to. They're like predators who are trying to buy the property at this. Yeah. Point. Just like you said, nobody, no bank, no lender wants to take a property under their ownership. They don't. Maybe in other states where it take like Texas, where it takes forty five days. In New York, the foreclosure process could take 10 years. They're not interested in, in waiting that and going through all the legal fees and dealing with all the bullshit. They do not want to take a property. They just want to get paid back so that they can turn the money and do it again. That is all they want. 100%. And that's the thing you got to And that's why they want you to put skin in the game. So I remember the first time I took a deal down with hard money was actually in Rockland County, which is kind of, it's like Long Island pricing for the most part. And uh Actually, we're, we're working on something in Rockland County, but um, it's actually right by Pearl River, but this is right over there. Um, and this, I think this property technically was, it was anyway, it was right around Pearl River and Inuit. And I remember coming to the closing table and my first time ever taking a deal down with hard money. And I was like, oh my God, I have to put this much money down. It was, I made six figures on the deal, but I couldn't believe the amount of money I had to put down, especially in Rockland with the property taxes. And it was crazy. But I, I remember once I did it the first time, I knew going forward, like how the process works. So let's say we got a new investor. They have a deal. They, they've listened to our podcast. They know, they know what to look out for. They're going to come to the table with hard money. So they're going to come, they're going to, they're going to show up to the closing or have their attorney be, go on their behalf. They're going to have to write a check for the gap, which is the difference between what the lender is willing to give you and what you're buying the property for. They're going to have to come to the table. In my opinion, this is, this is what I always do. Cause I'm a worst case scenario guy. They should have some money available for renovations in case something doesn't go their way. Like if you're wholetailing a house or like you got to have the ability to rehab it if you can't sell it for whatever price you want to get. You also need to have money to make the monthly payments, which are- I forgot about that. Yeah. Which are always going to be more, more months than you think for sure. Oh yeah. So, I forgot about that. Let's talk about that real quick because we didn't really hit on that. So when you're borrowing hard money, like Michael said earlier, you're going to make a monthly interest check. And then the balance, the principal is going to be paid at the close of the loan. Generally, these loans are 12 to 18 months long. You can extend them, but you're going to have to pay some fees for that. So every month you're just paying the interest. So the good thing about hard money that I like versus I raise private money as well now for deals. 
I guarantee my private investors like six months just to make it easy, but I never, I just pay them all on the back end. I don't make a monthly payment, but I have done deals with hard money where I made two payments and I was, I sold the house and I was, you know, my capital cost was not very expensive. So sure. every month I always use, if you don't have at least in my opinion, six to eight months of liquid cash in the bank to make those payments. And especially if it's a good deal, you should not be borrowing hard money because the last thing you want to do is run out of interest payments. And then you're really in a, in a pickle. Uh, it's not just that because you need a lot of money. You, you need a lot of money to close with hard money. <laughs> That's so true. Also, even if you're borrowing from the hard money lender, the, the funds to do the, to do the construction, you need to start that contractor off. The hard money lender is only going to pay you after work is done. So yes. you may need 10, 15, 20 grand to get the contractor started. You need money. You need money to make monthly payments. Like you said, you need a cushion in case something gets screwed up. So yep. you should not be borrowing hard money unless you feel very strongly that you have all those things in place beforehand. hundred percent. So you're going to pay, you're going to need the interest payments, the gap, you know, the closing costs, you're going to be paying the mortgage recording tax. You're going to pay transfer tax. So we, didn't get, we, didn't, we didn't get into the additional closing costs. When what you, are the additional closing costs? Because I mean, I, I know them, but I'm just being facetious here. In New York, you, you, there's mortgage tax, right? Which is 1% yes. of the loan, right? In the city, New York City, it's 2% of the loan. Is so, it really? Why would we ever do deals in New York City? Like, why? Yes. Um, so you got 1% mortgage tax. You have whatever fees the lender is charging you. So even if your lender is good and doesn't rip, rip you off with a lot of junk fees, it's still going to be a thousand or two thousand dollars in something. You're going to mm-hmm. have to pay for the lender's attorney also. Mm-hmm. Which could be a thousand, two thousand dollars, and and then you're you're gonna have to pay recording fees to record the mortgage, um, and any other affidavits that they that they that they have for you. So it's not outrageous to think that you may have an additional five to ten thousand dollars in costs when you take the loan. Again, you got it's got to make sense. The whole deal that makes sense, and you got to figure out. And any lender that you deal with, I would ask them up front. You know, what are your fees going to be at the closing? What are you going to need? What exactly are you going to need recorded? Right, because I remember I dealt with a lender for a long time. It was a great lender out of Jersey called the ABL Asset Based Lending, and they required me to file a UCC one. On what every- the hell's that? So it's a it's a Uniform Commercial Code. It's like a sort of a lien. Um, it's what they file on a co-op, which is not real property. Their thing was that they want the right in case they foreclosed on a property to get any construction materials on there. But I kept telling them every time I closed, it was 800 bucks to record this pain in the ass. And when I sold it, you had to take it off. So that's a UCC three, a termination. That was another 800 bucks. So I'm like, you're asking me for something that's almost, you really don't need. And it's costing me 600 yeah. bucks every time we close. Oh, and yeah. the title company will charge your service fee to file it. So it really was like $2,000. Yeah. Like I kept telling them, you got to get rid of this. It's just stupid. No one else asked for it. But that's the kind of thing you got to ask your lender. What are you going to need recorded? I yes, think they, I think they changed their policy by now. So, but but hopefully uh, they did. But it's it's not it's not outrageous for you to have an additional five to ten grand in closing costs because you're using the lender. Hundred percent, and that's and something. Points, and the points too, like we said, it might be might be a couple four yeah. thousand dollars just on the points. That's the. But you mentioned something briefly that I want to cover that that I could not believe when I first started buying, like physically buying houses, not assigning. You have to pay for the lender's attorney. So in New York, everyone knows it's an attorney state. We've had podcasts on that. The lender gets represented by an attorney. I don't know why they do because these guys know what they're doing, especially if they're an established business. And these are these are big, big companies with big money, Wall Street money. Yeah. My attorney fee that I have to pay for the lender 
is at minimum $1,500. Sometimes it's more just for the lender. And he, I just did a wholesale deal and the guy got a hard money lender and he was at the closing. His fee was like, you know, at least $1,500, if not more, just for showing up for an hour. And uh, you got to know what you're getting into when you're doing this, because this is a whole nother business. I, I always say there's two businesses. There's the marketing for sellers business. And then there's the I own real estate business, which are two different businesses, 100%. you know? hundred percent. And, and yeah, you got to find out how much, you know, which, what attorney do you use? How much does he charge? It's going to all going to go into your closing costs. You got to ask these questions before you take the loan for sure. hundred percent. Every, every, like, as we said before, it's not uncommon on a wholesale deal for there to be four attorneys involved, right? Seller's attorney, your attorney in the middle, the buyer's attorney. And if he's taking hard money, a lender's attorney. Lender's attorney. Everybody's getting account for everybody's that. Everyone's getting paid. Everyone's getting paid. Michael, have you ever heard of this? I have a friend who, uh, who, who brought this up one time and I didn't really like it was kind of an objection on a wholesale deal, but I said, dude, if you want the property, you're going to buy it. He said that sometimes his lender doesn't like makes him pay the assignment fee or the double close spread at the closing table. If I'm wholesaling the house to him, because his lender thinks that he's making money, like he's wholesaling it to himself. So like what I mean by that, let's say I'm wholesaling a deal for 40 G's and the lender knows that it's an assignment or a double close and he gets the AB contract or the original contract. Sometimes his lender will make him pay that whole wholesale fee up front and it can't be part of the loan because, because I'm in an LLC, they think that he's basically wholesaling a property to himself and putting 40 G's in his pocket. Have you ever heard of that go on or is that just total yeah. shenanigans? So I've heard a lot of lenders are concerned with assignment deals for the reason you just said, right? They don't want to see somebody wholesaling a deal to themselves, which is ironic because we talk to people from other parts of the country and no one there seems to care about these things. No. Right now the wholesale fees are usually smaller, but still they're fine, you know, financing the bigger price by us. I, I find most lenders who know how things work, they want to know what the assignment fee is and, they, and they're going to sort of judge whether it's reasonable or not. I yeah. just met with a lender trying to do some business together and they told me they had a crazy deal where the, it was it was absurd. Like the guy was buying it for for seven hundred thousand dollars, and it was a six hundred thousand dollars assignment fee, and it ended up being a title a title claim because really the seller didn't re really own it. There was some fraud. There were there were uh, sibling, you know, there were heirs that weren't. Involved. Yeah, it was garbage. Yeah, they, they they got no, but they but for there I think their thing is like ten percent of the price they feel is a reasonable fifteen percent something like that, and they don't mind financing it up to there. Um, they may, but they it's so easy to see. On an LLC, who the people involved? Is. Yeah, you just go on opencorpus.com. Yeah, but there are there are lenders out there that are that are a little antsy when it comes to financing the back end of the wholesale deal because they feel like there could be some shenanigans going on. But usually, when you know when you show them what's happening, I mean, I get an assignment contract and it's all legit. Yeah. Uh, usually, it's not a problem. But but yeah. I, but, I, but I've heard other lenders, and it's all we're all a product of our experiences, right? So. Some lender probably got screwed on something like that, where some guy wholesaled it to himself and walked away from the deal, and the guy made his money on the assignment. And then they're like, "Oh, we can't do this anymore." That's probably what happened. I mean, I you get I, it. Yeah, you and I are exactly the same. If we got burned on something similar to that, we'd be we'd be yeah. next time. Yeah, especially if it's a loan in New York. You know, you can't ever foreclose really. Right. You know, that's so you. I get it. Yeah, I understand it, but it's just it's it's something that can be documented. Yeah, no, that's interesting, and that's the and the reason we're we're kind of getting into the weeds here on this episode is that. Closing on property in New York is a lot more complicated than, than the, to, to the naked eye as it would, you know, it's so much easier. Like if you watch a guru who's not in New York talk about something, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but you got to take everything that people say and 
take it with a grain of salt. And you have to learn from people who are doing it in your local market, whether that's Southern California or whether that's New York or whether that's Texas, but you got to really learn from local experts because that's where you're going to learn the insight and the actual information. Um, because the last thing you want to do is take down a bad deal and not be able to you know, make money on it because you're really, because when you once, and I've noticed this too, this is why, I mean, I, I'm open to closing, but it's a pain in the ass now, but like, not only do you have to worry about the, I wouldn't say worry, you have to be aware of the costs associated with taking the deal down on the financing side and on like the just pure closing costs. But when it comes to owning a property, even if you're wholesaling it for 30 days, you have an electric bill, you have a sewer bill, you have maintenance, lawn maintenance, you have, uh, oh, open permits, stop work orders. I mean, we'll, have, we'll get in the whole rehabbing episode on the, on the later date, but- In the winter, know, in the winter you have snow removal? And you the- got snow removal, you got to make sure the heat is on, that the pipes burst. I mean, there's a lot of things you got to know when you're taking a deal down, especially in New York, because I mean, I don't tell anyone about this, but there's a property that I own right now and it's a flip, it's a wholesale. And uh, I haven't even put the power in my name yet. And I'm just kind of a, being a peckerhead about it. But th- I think the guy, Jimmy rigged the electric. So I think no one's paying for the power, but it, you know, it, there's a lot of things you have. You have to have a checklist basically. And th- that's the really point I'm trying to make. Like when you take a property down, if you have an assistant, that's the best thing to do. But a lot of these utility companies will make the owner speak first and then the assistant can get permission, but you got to get the power in your name. You got to have a lawn guy who can take care of that lawn. Like you have to be on top of this stuff, especially if you're renovating because you have a little mini economy going on at your property. You have a lot of risk. You have a lot of liability. And I don't want to get too in the weeds with rehabs, but you have building departments in New York and I'll just give everyone a teaser. And the last thing you want to do is get red tagged in a village and red tag just means a stop work order where basically they see you're doing work without a permit and they shut you down. Uh, because you can really put your project in a serious gridlock. I'll give you one example. Uh, I got involved. Uh, this is the same actual property. <laughs> Crazy how this works. So I got a letter from the building department about three weeks ago. And it's like, dear Mr. Helbeck, we noticed that you have dumpsters on this property. And uh, you, you must stop work immediately and file permits. And I'm not even, I wasn't even rehabbing the house. I'm like, dude, go in the freaking house and look inside. There's no construction whatsoever. So he, he, he backed off, but what were you, doing? you were just cleaning it out. This, this, the owner had a dumpster to clean it out for me. Cause it was broom swept because I gave him a rent back, but you, you got to know what you're doing when you're getting involved in deals. And I really recommend if you're new to this business in this area, partner up with a guy who knows what they're doing in the beginning. You do not want to try to learn it all on your own. If you're closing on deals, because it can get messy fast. Michael, have you, what are some horror stories you've seen from, um, you know, building departments. We'll give everyone a little teaser and then we'll probably do a whole episode on this because I love talking about this stuff. Months about building departments. There's so many bad ones in uh, Nassau and Suffolk. It's crazy. Worse than Nassau, I would say. But I, just to reiterate what you said, anytime you own a property, you're probably going to own it for longer than you think. Yep. And you're probably going to spend more money than you think. So Always. you and I have both come across other investors who have just literally ran out of money in the middle of a yes. construction. That, that happens all the time. Right. The idea that everything is going to go as planned is absurd. Nothing goes as planned. No. And you need to have that in, in place. But what happens with a lot of building departments is that, like you said, listen, every, you have to know the ins and outs of every building department. So there are a few villages in my area that check social media. And if you, wow. put, if you put on Facebook, I got a four-bedroom, two-bath house, and they look at their things and it says three-bedroom, one-bath, they're going to call, come and see it. And then hit you with a violation. 
I had that. I had a, a one crazy ass village. A lot of villages look at everything on MLS. What village was this, by the way? It was Malvern, the village of Malvern. What town is that in, like, in Long Island? Is that Nassau? Near me, it's near me. It's town of, Nass- town of Hempstead. Hempstead, okay. Um, that village, same village, looks at everything on MLS. So they send someone to every open house. And I had filed a hmm. permit, and I had not done the kitchen. And they told me that the kitchen was redone. And I'm like, yeah, the guy I bought it from redid it. And like, we don't care. You got to file a permit for it. So this is kind of crazy things that come up and there is no logic whatsoever. I, I was just at a barbecue on Sunday for a very, very, very wealthy real estate guy. All he does is commercial properties. And I mean, he was telling me dealing with like the village of Valley stream, like he bought a commercial property and had some decorative thing on the outside of it. And it fell off and like a metal thing. I could have killed somebody. It didn't. So he got a quote to fix it, put it back the way it was. It's going to cost him $60,000. And he's like, okay, I'll do it right. He's a very wealthy guy. And um, <laughs> he applied for a permit to get it done, which also cost another $5,000. And they said, no, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't like it. You got to go in front of like the architectural review board. Oh. He goes, I'm putting it back the exact way it was. So he's like, they're retarded. I'm just going to take the whole thing off and just paint it because they, they're driving. Yeah. Trash. There's no logic whatsoever. In, no. I would say 90% of the building departments that I deal with. There's a build, there's oh, one yeah. building department, town of North Hempstead. They're they're just crazy. I mean, I bought a pro- I'm buying a property there. It took me six weeks to get an appointment to go see the file, just to see what was going on there. And I said to them, you know, that's that's ridiculous. And she's like, well, we're trying we're trying to get better. They have you by the balls too. That's the thing with these, these bureaucracies. There's nothing you can do. You can't fight them. It's the government. Yeah. Building departments are difficult, and you need to understand. What, anytime you're doing anything, even what you may think is not a renovation, the town of Malvern, the, the village of Malvern, if you replace two windows. You need a permit. Two windows. That is insane. And they, that's how they make their money. That's how they make it. Quick story on that. It's because it's funny how you wouldn't think they would catch you. We wholetailed a house. This is a couple of years ago. And my buddy, not a smart move on his end. I will. Hopefully he's listening. He knows who he is. Devin King. Um, he, uh, he's got his license and he put in the listing description. He knows it was a silly mistake. So he's not offended. Uh, he put in the description, there was a new roof on the property. We bought it with a new roof. Like we didn't do this new roof and he puts brand new roof on the property. And we're, we got the buyer lined up. We're in escrow about to, you know, get to the climax here. And, uh, the freaking, we get jammed up $5,000 credit just for a freaking roof. And, And the building department was watching and following that listing the whole entire time. And this is in the town of Warwick. And, um, you got to know what you're getting into. The point of that story is you need to know what you're getting into when you're closing on properties. We'll do a whole episode on the building department and what to look out for building departments. But our point today was know your closing costs. We just gave you literally everything you need to know for the most part about closing costs in 30 minutes, which is a lot to run with. And you got to know how much and how long it's going to probably take and then add another 25 to 50% to that to really have an accurate assessment. I'd rather... Uh, be pleasantly surprised on my projects versus like like getting caught with my pants down and all of a sudden you know I'm without, call without money to make your next month yep. you yeah. money to do some kind of work that you need to do got to have reserves you got to have reserves when you're closing on properties and if you're wholetailing especially always anticipate you have to renovate that property because at the end of the day wholetailing is a great strategy in this market and I think it will work in perpetuity for a while but but you never the, know you never know you, you never, never know. I, I bought a lot of houses where I thought I was going to do minimal work to it. Yep. 
and I ended up spending, you know, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars where I thought I was yep. going to get up at two, three thousand dollars. Yep. And, you know, and the roof, they told me the roof was OK. The roof wasn't OK. You know, that those things happened. And it was yep. uh, it was nine thousand dollars to do the roof. Like that's uh, you know, you can't not do a roof. You can't you have to. It's critical. Uh, there's certain things you got to do, right? He doesn't work. You got to make it work. Even if you the, have to you got to replace the boiler, or the heating system like these are there are certain things that you need to do in order yeah. to sell the property to a retail buyer. And even if you think things are okay, you may be unpleasantly surprised. So be prepared. Be prepared and have the money, have the backing and uh, make sure you do your homework. Honestly, partner up with a guy who's experienced in the beginning. Don't try to do it on your own unless you have like an extensive construction background and you have a lot of capital and you're okay with losing some of that capital. But make sure you go in there with your eyes open. I hope everyone got value from today's episode. And I know this is going to be a popular one because a lot of people don't talk about this stuff and they're, they're uh, they, either they don't know what they're talking about or they just don't talk about it because it's not that exciting. I think we're pretty exciting. I think we're pretty entertaining to listen to. So I'm not, I'm not doubting I that. I don't know how anybody could, could, could not be entertained. I mean, they're so entertained. I hope they go over to iTunes right now and give us a five-star review and subscribe and share this on social media. Honestly, if you got value from today's episode, seriously, copy and paste this podcast link and share it with five of your friends in New York who need to hear this because that's how the show keeps growing. We're not uh, direct response internet experts. So we're just, a lot of this is organic. So share the show, leave a review. Michael, that was a great episode and I'll see you on the next one. Great.